90s footy fans, welcome to another edition of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week we are chatting with former Essendon captain, Gary O'Donnell. Gary, a 12-year veteran of the Essendon Football Club, played 243 games in the red and black, including the 1993 grand final win over Carlton. In this episode, Gary chats about his lengthy apprenticeship in the reserves, before making his senior debut, the 1990 grand final loss, being a part of the 1993 premiership team, the night the lights at Waverley Park went out against St Kilda, representing Victoria and life as a football coach. So sit back, relax and enjoy my chat with Gary O'Donnell. Gary O'Donnell, thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Great to have you on the program and to have a chat, mate. Yeah, pleasure to be here. I wonder what uh, path we'll take today. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to uh, reminiscing on your footy journey. That is for sure. Great career at the Bombers and obviously uh, the Brisbane Lions and the Bombers um, in an off-field role um, as an assistant coach as well. So we'll touch on all that sort of stuff. But before we start talking footy, what's life looking like for Gary O'Donnell at the moment? I know you're residing in Perth at the moment. I am, yes. So uh, my partner's originally from Perth, so I've come here, been here for six years. I haven't really been involved in a footy club at all. It's been a good break. My weekends are now my own, but um, I'm actually not actually working at the moment, Monday to Friday, so looking for that, but won't be working weekends again. I uh, hold them dear and uh, clear. I still watch a lot of footy, but um, the weekend is my own. Nice, and I guess uh, you probably didn't have a weekend for a long, long time to your own with obviously playing, coaching, and so forth. Yeah, especially in the coaching. It's not as bad in the playing. You, you play your game, you go home, you, you're recovering. Uh, in the coaching side of things, you are, um, well, that, when the siren goes at the end of the game, that's when your work starts. And there's been a hell of a lot of late nights reviewing video and, and uh, you know, capturing video and making up presentations to be ready for Monday mornings uh, for presentations to players for the review of the game. And then, you know, it's reserves, it's everything. You get a good break at the end of the year, but while the season's going, it's, she's pretty full on. So it's uh, been, yeah, there was 18 years in, in that area of the game. Um, and I loved every minute of it, but it's, uh, that's past me now. Oh, fantastic. I'll look forward to touching on that a little bit later on in the chat, mate. But I'm really interested, how did you get yourself to Essendon? Obviously, you made your way, I think, in the early 80s and really had to uh, do an apprenticeship, I guess, in the VFL or the reserves program before you even got a chance to play senior footy. Yeah, no draft back in those days. So it was zones and Ringwood happened to be Essendon zone, uh, as well as the Wimmera in the country in the far west of Victoria. And then obviously around the Essendon area, the suburbs there. Uh, yeah, so you get identified early, you put into school squads, actually three premiership players from the 60s. Um, uh, Graham Johnson, Russell Blue and Jeff Gosper ran clinics on a Friday night at the Croydon Leisure Centre, four-hour squad that was based in the east of Melbourne. So uh, intended them, and then you know over time uh, you get. Oh, I actually played in a, a senior game at North Ringwood in the uh, in the local comp, um, 
we uh, we beat Vermont in our first game. Uh, in my first game, they hadn't been beaten at home for three years, so that was uh, a big thrill. But two weeks later, broke a leg, uh, missed 18 months. So I was almost 19 before I went across to Essendon in the under-19. And, uh, yeah, it took a while to come through. A year there and then three in the reserves before I got a game finally at the end of 87. So uh, much bigger lifts in those days. You had a lot of blokes that uh, were playing, probably had senior experience, but were playing in the reserves, either coming back from injury or in poor form. So you got good development playing against those, against the men that were were solid VFL players. And that helped me, but it took a long while. I was just going to say, obviously playing, you know, that 50 or 60 games in the reserves comp, do you think that held you in good stead for when you did, I guess, commence and really start off your senior career? And then from probably 87, 88 onwards, you really were a permanent fixture in that lineup. Yeah, it did. I, when I finally got that la- that first game, and I only got on at half time, so I was running the boundary. It was against Collingwood and uh, the old uh, coaches' boxes in the um, members' stand at the MCG, and you're running along the boundary. Sheeds, I'm here. Put me on. It wasn't the rotations they have these days. And finally got on at half time when uh, Paul Vanderhaar, I think, came off uh, injured. But um, yeah, look at it. It, it took a while, but a good grounding. I think I played that half game and thought, geez, I'm not too bad. And I think I had, I still had a lot more to learn and a lot more to develop and improve, but I was a much more rounded player coming in after virtually four years of footy. Uh, I saw plenty of guys in my career come in highly touted, you know, from our Wimmera district, uh, you know, wherever. And, uh, they might be uh, the, the next Tim Watson, play six games, you never saw them again. So, you know, it was, it, it's something I took into my coaching as well because I said to the, the guys, you know, you're not here for a game, you're here for a career. And uh, I certainly got that one. I didn't uh, go back to the twos after that, played the 240-odd games. And I think, yeah, that helped me, even though I thought Sheeds could have played me, <clears throat> pardon me, probably – uh, 12 months earlier, but strong team back then. Um, you know, I wouldn't uh, give anything back that, that happened uh, for the world. Racing after it is Buick. He's got backup support from Heard. Heard the dead oh. bird through that away McDonald races in the goal and kicks it You talk about your first game against the old arch rival in Collingwood. I tell you what, in your time at the Bombers, Gary G, you had some big games against the Magpies, and we'll touch on the 1990 Grand Final in a minute, but obviously Anzac Day, 1990 Grand Final, your first game. So there's some big matches against the Magpies, the old arch rivals in your career. There was, and also uh, it was about round 17, 18, in the 1990 year where we played Collingwood out at Waverley, and it was a sellout. You couldn't get near the place. And it was the first uh, game ever televised against the gate, virtually live. So... Um, you know, it's not that long ago. What are we talking? Thirty-two years where uh, you know television station was able to talk the the AFL into having a game against the gate uh, live, and uh, five points we won by were kicked against the breeze in the last quarter. And for the last five ten minutes of the game, no one scored, and we it was in our back half. And I remember Bomber Thompson lay a, t- a smother uh, right at about thirty seconds to go that saved the game virtually. And uh, we won by you know, only uh, a couple, five points. And uh, that set up the final series in 1990 against Collingwood as well. 
How do you reflect on the 1990 grand final? I guess, uh, you know, it was a hard physical game against two great powerful teams. Um, you know, there, there was a big brawl at quarter time. I don't know. Well, I can't remember whether you were you were near it or not near it or whatever, but it was just a, it was a game. How do you reflect on, you know, that grand final? Well, quarter time, I jumped the fence. I was about row six. I was having a cup of tea with a little old lady. The fight finished. I jumped over and uh, continued to go to the quarter time huddle. Uh, make love, not war was my motto. And uh, No, you just you go into those sort of things and just grab a bloke, grab a teammate so he can't belt anyone. Or you, you mainly grab an opponent so that he's, he's not belting one of your blokes. And then uh, these days... In the modern day game, that's what you should do to avoid a fine, I suppose. But um, yeah, look, I really, really cut deep. Um, the old uh, Olympics, uh, the old rooms on the uh, what is it, the northern side. The uh, we used to be side by side, uh, the two teams running out. Uh, it was like a breezeway out the back of the the um, the rooms, and at the end of the game, I reckon they played the Collingwood theme song. You know, for the next hour, I heard it 30 times. It was haunting. And um, look, I thought both teams were evenly matched over the course of the year. Maybe we were just the just the better team, but that's not a debate now. They they had the luck, the good form, and everything go right for them in that last four weeks. That draw that Sumich from West Coast missed the uh, missed the goal, and um, we had to come back. Well, they had to come back next week. It was. Um, because we'd been flogged on the track um, and the blokes all caught a bus back to Windy Hill. They left early. I think they were, myself and Paul Salmon lived in Ringwood. So we were able to drive out there, but we went straight home. And But the guys on the bus, they were listening to the, the last you know couple of minutes because they wanted to beat the old Waverley traffic. Terrible. Take them two or three hours to get out of the joint. But yeah, I think the bus, no one said a word for the whole bus trip from Waverley to Windy Hill. And we knew that we had another week of getting flogged. Um, the, in the last game of that year, we played a few blokes that, um, you know, we rested a few blokes. So some had had, a, you know, three three weeks off. And, uh, you know, anyway, that's that's history now. The, the best team normally wins it. And uh, that's what the record book says anyway. So uh, spilt milk now. We we're lucky we got the chance three years later and there was enough of us still around from that team to... Uh, to just avenge and, you know, um, be able to recompense ourselves from the, that terrible day in the first weekend in October in 1990. <laughs> I, you, nice little segue. I guess over the next two years, you know, you had some names that were probably calling time, you know, like the Danahers and Vanderhaar who were sort of getting to that back end of their career and a, a new brigade of youngsters were coming through and so forth. Did, did you think over sort of 91, 92 that, with those names sort of going and, and new ones coming in, it might have ta- it might take a, another couple of years before you guys can sort of get yourselves back up to the level where is were in '89 and '90. Or did you think with having a you know still a pretty good core of players that you weren't far away from you know um, going and hitting it hard again? Yeah, probably thought it was going to take a little while, but Sheed's Kevin Sheedy was one that we turned up at every preseason thinking we were a chance to win the flag. That was the sort of environment you had at the footy club at that time. And if we get this right, we do that, we do this, we're, we're a chance. And that was the beauty of Sheeds. Um, look, there was 10 blokes from that 1990 grand final that ended up playing in the 93. We had 
you know, just a group of youngsters, uh, the, probably the last set that I know, some were drafted and some were in zone to Essendon from living in the Essendon area. Most of them barracked for Essendon. A lot of them had number 32, Tim Watson, on their back as kids. Uh, so we had that. We had Tim, who'd retired for a year in 92, come back in 93. She's had him secretly training with Danny Corcoran, and uh, they picked him up in the, you know, like the, the, the draft right on round one, I think, when it used to be there. Uh, but, so he didn't play till about round five or six because he wasn't, um, you know, in a, in a fit enough state. But, uh, yeah, those six or seven, seven or eight young blokes that came through, little did we know at that time that probably four are going to be in the AFL Hall of Fame and all of them will be in the Essendon Hall of Fame. And, you know, they, they were just poised. Youngs didn't know how to lose. We, a lot of games we came from behind, kind of like the Collingwood of this year where you know, they're, they're winning close games. We win games where we were behind in the last quarter and just fight, fight, somehow find a way. So, um, yeah, look, everything's got to... You've got to have the right environment, the right chemistry. You had a, a group of blokes that were licking their wounds from 1990. Um, you, know, you had Gavin Wanganeen had a, had a you know, breakout year, you know, playing it in a back pocket as if he was a, a, a midfielder, just, you know, just win all these contests and just rebound. You had Dustin Fletcher come in in round three, I think, um, play his first minute in the ruck uh, in the 1993 year. He missed a game because he played school footy. That would be unheard of these days. So, yeah, it was a wonderful time to be around the club. You had a, a dynamic where you had kids coming through that just loved their footy and the enthusiasm that they brought to the, the table. Uh, rubbed off on the guys that have been around a while. And yeah, just it, everything fell into place. Before I hit on the prelim final and the grand final itself in 93, Gary, I was looking at the um, the ladder leading up to our chat. And I'll tell you what, it's probably one of the most competitive seasons I've seen ladder position-wise because you guys finished on top with just 13 wins, six losses and a draw. And I reckon the ninth or 10th team was still on 10 wins. So, you know, from top to, to 10, it was only three games the margin. So what a, what a year it was just for... 90s football, AFL football, and real that real competitiveness. Yeah, it was. We'd, we'd had a few injuries towards the um, the end of the year as well. And so I think we played Geelong in the last game that we played, and, and they beat us five, you know, four or five goals. We got a heap of injuries. Then the next round, we had the bye. So every, we knew where we'd, how many wins were, 13 and a half out of, out of 20. We had to rely on other results. And <clears throat> I think one of them was, but the Bulldogs, North had, or North and the Bulldogs were playing. We need the Bulldogs to finish close to North so that North didn't didn't uh, pass us in percentage. We needed, I think, maybe even Carlton to lose, and they they did the right thing, and we were able to to finish on top. So um, the following week, the first ever night final. Um, so all finals before then had been played during the day. We played. Uh, a night final against Carlton, uh, lost by two points, and then went into the repercharge round. We had to then play, uh, who was it, West Coast. Carlton went through to a second semi against Adelaide, who'd won, and the winner of that game was going straight through to the grand final. So Adelaide had sort of leapfrogged us, and we had to play uh, play West Coast. And I think the Carlton-Adelaide game was on the Saturday, so Carlton won, they were straight into the grand final. We still had to beat West Coast on the Sunday. And then the following week against Adelaide, before we had any chance of 
um, you know, re-challenging Carlton again. Was that a top six or a top eight? What was the first year the top eight came in? Was that 94, the top eight, or was it 93? Yeah, that was that was later. No, it was still a top six. So uh, it was one V2, and then I think it was three, six, four, five. So the only advantage you got one, two, was if you lost, you got another chance, whereas, you know, third to sixth didn't get another chance. But Adelaide were able to, even though we'd finished higher than they, they leapfrogged us. Um, by winning their game. I'm not sure who it was against them. I think it might have been Hawthorne, actually. They might have knocked Hawthorne out. So, uh, um, yeah, so we go through uh, the, the West Coast game, uh, the big conglomerate, the 92-94 Premiers. So we've, we've divided that uh, that <laughs> dynasty. So that was good. We beat them at the MCG by about five or six goals. Um that was that was a good day. I think uh, David Kelsall did well. He kicked a, kicked two or three, and um, John Warsfold got a big corky, so he was off. Uh, I think early in the third, so that was handy, um, especially with all the run-ins we had with him over the years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, and then obviously went to Adelaide the following week with that win. I'll tell you what, what a win that was. Um, you know, trailing by forty-two points at half time. To register a great comeback win, do you think that win gave you guys that much confidence heading into the grand final? It did. Well, I think we were going to be hard to beat because Carlton had a team that was older than us, and we we our motto that year, our sponsor was Speed Kills, the Transport Accident Commission, and that was virtually our motto on the field as well. You move the ball quick, you run fast, you play it on, you overlap from behind. Um, we had a simple game plan, probably about 10 team rules that, you know, uh, we had the whole year and the, they were easy for the, the blokes playing their first and second years just to, to, um, to, to follow and uh, it, it really worked well. So, yes, a lot of games we won during the year from coming from behind and that one those games probably helped that one. But, you know, though we had a couple of outstanding performances. Longy was playing really well. He had a great final series. Then Darren Buick kicked six straight. He was kicking from them from everywhere. You know, one was from the pie stand. It was just, you know, to come back, you know, you can't win it straight away early in the third quarter, You'd, but you can lose it. You can, you know, have a few more goals kicked against you or, you get you, you you get momentum and then you lose it. So every goal that we had a chance to kick, we kicked, and that was that was a key. And Darren Buick was a, integral in that. He, um, you know, obviously we all uh, played our part. And Sheeds at halftime threw everything everything back to how it had started because he'd been swapping it around. It wasn't working in the first half, but he said, "No, we're going back to how we started." And okay, we just inched along, and you know, by about three-quarter time, we're only two or three behind, and then you're in the game again, and yeah. um, the rest is history. Oh, bloody great comeback. It's, uh, yeah, one of the greats of uh, the 90s, I reckon that is for sure. And then I guess, um, you know, after the disappointment of 1990, you know, yourself and, and you know, nine others, how much elation did that premiership win bring you individually, personally? Because I know, you know, it would have been a tough pill to swallow, as you said before, against losing against Collingwood in 90. How much elation did the flag bring you? Oh, I was exhilaration and despair are the two um, words between losing and winning. It just 
Well, we started the game really well. We, I think it was five goals, eight to you know, one goal, one. We probably should have nailed the game then. The game should have been over, but we we kept inching ahead. Longy obviously had a, a great game. Um, we had you know, blokes taking it on. Mercury and Ola Renshaw early in that game were really, really good as well. Joey Masidi from halfback. So, um, yeah, Dustin Fletcher, I thought, played well, and he still had seven kicked on him. So it was amazing. Yeah, that's the sort of game Stephen Kernahan had in the opposition there, captain to kick seven. But, um, yeah, look, we'd, we'd had the game nailed probably halfway through the last quarter. We went nine or ten goals up, and that was the best, you know, 15 minutes of or my favourite 15 minutes of footy, just to playing in the middle, but just playing behind the ball, just sitting back, watching, you know, looking each other in the eyes, saying, you know, we've got this, having a look around the crowd, you know, all the Essendon supporters knowing we'd won the game. It was it was pure pleasure and something I'll never forget. And, you know, the best thing that's happened to me in the sporting life. Number 10, Gary O'Donnell. Yeah, well, the celebrations afterwards, I would have said, I would have thought you would have had a few sherbets afterward, Gary. <laughs> Pretty good, yeah. We, uh, I had the chance to have the Premiership Cup for about 10 minutes to myself under a rub-down bench. I was being interviewed on one of the radio stations. I was next in line, so I was listening to whoever was talking, and I had the cup full of champagne with me. That was good, too. A great memory. Um, we, uh, we went back to the Sheraton Hotel, myself and Paul Salmon, in between going back to the Hilton Hotel for the uh, you know, the celebrations and we were watching Hey Hey at Saturday and Trevor Marmalade interviewing teammates as they're coming into the hotel. Um, and you know, it, it was a chance because I, I reckon we were both a little bit tipsy and it gave us a chance that hour just to sort of, you know, get our act together and then get back to or get to the, the Hilton. And um, the young Dustin Fletcher in an interview, he was asked... Uh, um, oh, you've got to go back to school Monday, you know, year 12, you know, and he goes, yeah, and, oh, and he dropped the magic word on hey, hey, it's Saturday, so that was hilarious as we're sitting in the hotel, we're ready to go. The next year too, 1994, we didn't, we didn't make the final, so that, you can probably tell from there, we had a lot of young blokes that had partied pretty hard in 93. <laughs> Mate, Wanganeen won the Brownlow, as you said, um, but your, your year was outstanding as well, and you won the Crichton medal that year, that... Looking back now, you must look pretty fondly on your individual performance that season. Yeah, it was everything came together. Look, I was in the prime though, twenty eight years old. Um, what my what are we talking? The sixth year of senior footy. Yeah, sixth. Um, I hadn't missed many games, and that's where you get your development. You're on the field, you don't get it uh, injured, and so I was lucky there. Um, and yeah, everything came together. I'm twenty eight years old. Um, Sheeds, you know, started as a, a, a he started me as a, you know, a tagging player or a halfback, and then, you know, as you get better and more worldly in the game, you know, I played probably half my career in on the ball as well, and that that was that year I sort of swapped and changed a little bit, probably three quarters on the ball, a quarter at um, a quarter of the season at halfback. In that Carlton final, the first one I played at halfback on Fraser Brown, so. Uh, you know, I, maybe I was a difference in the grand final. They put me in on the ball, and you know, that, that, but anyway, um, yeah. Look, uh, great, great season. You know, I, I prided myself on being pretty consistent, and I think over a career, uh, may not have been as 
reached the heights that some players had uh, talent-wise, and um, but certainly the difference between uh, my best games and my poor games is pretty close. Hey, Gary, you had the chance to captain the Bombers uh, in the mid-90s as well, 96, 97. You know, that must have been a great experience. You know, you'd been there for a little while, and now you had the chance to, to lead that side. And I guess what was the pressure? What was it like holding that type of position? Was there a fair bit of pressure on a captain in, in that mid-90s time? Uh, yeah, there was. Um, you didn't have the leadership groups that they have now. You probably had a captain and a, a couple of couple of deputies. Um, tried not to put too much pressure on myself. You just you, you don't change. You get picked in that position because of the way you go about things. So you may as well just do the same thing. But yeah, there's a little bit more involved. You've got a lot more press. Um, you know, you're speaking to the players before every game in the little pet pre-match prep talk, that sort of stuff. So. It does, you know, not hinder, but it does take your focus away a little bit from your individual um, performance, I would have thought. Um, I'm not sure how guys these days do the interviews live during the course of the game, and they're, they're supposed to be thinking about, you know, what's coming up next or how, we, you know, how we're going to start this quarter or, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a different game these days. But, yeah, look, it was a great honour passed down from Bomber Thompson and over the course of yeah, you know, the hundred and fifty odd years of Essendon, you've had a great line of captains that um, I've just been wrapped to be able to follow, and uh, so uh, fortunate to have that opportunity. Yeah, it'd be nice. Must be nice, you know, going back and looking, having your name on the honour board, and as you said, Bomber Thompson, Tim Watson, um, some of these great captains. That uh, yeah, must sit pretty well with you. Yeah, Terry was was a beauty as well. Just uh, Terry Danaher, just everything he did was was flat out. Uh, worked worked his butt off uh, off the field, played hard as well, but just a wonderful player, you know, in the on the dais for the best marks pound for pound, you know, size wise that I've seen. He was a, he was a ripper player, and then well, Bomber Thompson was a, a beauty, just a real players captain, and 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 at, at a really good time for young guys coming through as well, and um, was able to lead us to the uh, the, the top echelon. 1996, mate, um, the football club and yourself were involved in two memorable matches. And the first one I'm going to touch on is that famous night match at Waverley when the bloody lights went out. Where were you on the ground when that occurred? What was happening? What were you thinking when it happened? And obviously it was an interesting uh, couple of nights and days following that with you guys having to back up on the Tuesday night, which is just, um, yeah, very interesting. Amazingly here at Waverley in round 10, St Kilda playing Essendon in Saturday night football. There has been some sort of power failure. Five minutes or four minutes, 47 seconds to go of the third quarter. The Bombers were leading by 20 points and the whole place is in darkness. There's now some, I guess, some safety lights pointing over the ground in front. We see the Essendon huddle with Kevin Sheedy. The St Kilda players are down with Stan Owls on the bench. And really, these are night lights, not the power of the lights. And everything just went black as we think Ryan O'Connor had a free kick or perhaps a shot at goal. So the margin's either 20, 26 points, or he might have even kicked a point, Ian Robertson. <laughs> Dear, I think it's <laughs> hilarious, actually, Malcolm. And uh, you mentioned about people taking uh, photographs, but uh, it certainly is a first as far as Waverley's concerned, although I do remember one night here in a pre-season game, I think it was, oh, actually, it might have been mid-season game, uh, when the sprinklers yeah, went on. That's right, with Claremont and... <laughs> uh, 
That was the funniest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. One, of, one of the problems here, of course, is uh, not knowing the rule. I don't think there is a rule on this no. yard. It was uh, horrendous. It was interesting. It was a nightmare. It was laughable. Amazing. I think it was a Ford stoppage in our, uh, in our Ford line. Bang, lights go off. There's about 38 minutes of game time to go. Um, yeah, okay, we come into a huddle, then we go sort of to the interchange area or the race area, uh, you know, for the next step. Sheeds comes down, we start talking. The lights go, you know, it's been a couple of minutes now. Okay, look, it doesn't look like they're going to come on quickly. We'll go inside. St Kilda did the same. And, you know, as the time went on, it looked more and more like the lights wouldn't come on. So, uh, yeah, okay, we were warming up, trying to, you know, stay warm in case. It didn't come on. Then the next morning we get win that we're going to have to front up Tuesday to finish the match. 38 minutes, 19 minutes each end. <laughs> and obviously you can change the team because you know, some blokes don't pull up very well and you know, don't get up for another game, etc. So James Heard uh, came in. He didn't quite make the game coming back from injury, but was ready on the Tuesday. So that's how last it was. You know, the Brownlow medalist um, of the year came back into our team. So uh, I, on the Sunday morning, rang because I was—I think I was—well, I was our players rep. I might—I think I was vice president of the Players Association at that time. I rang Ian Collins, the CEO, and said, "Mate, this can't happen. We're not doing it." He goes, "No, it has to happen." You know, we end up getting—I think it was five—a five hundred dollar payment for every player for turning up again but that wasn't the issue it was just the the ridiculousness of it so yeah the rule came in now that if it's in the first half i think um and lights don't come on game has to be abandoned two points each if it's after half time um whoever's leading will take the four points so if it's in a big game like if they have a night grand final in the future <laughs> and uh the lights go off they can't get them back on the leading team after half-time gets the point. So there you that, go. That'd cause an uproar if that happened in the modern day, wouldn't it? Like, I tell you what, with, them, with all the media scrutiny that goes on absolutely everything these days, that would be just unbelievable. It's going to be similar to this year and future years. COVID, what it, what uh, influence or um, on, a, on a game is it going to have in a final? Uh, it will happen. It will happen. Hey, I want to ask you about the prelim final. Obviously, you know, didn't go the way of the Bombers. Um, Plugger kicked the the point and the Sydney Swans go through to the grand final. When that moment happened, before Plugger had that kick, what was going through your mind? Do you think, uh, you know, he was a chance to kick it? Were you worried that he was going to kick, you know, something to register a point? Or did you think, you know, there could be a chance he, he might not make the distance here? What were your feelings and he thoughts was always, going? He was always going to kick it because I think the 50s at, the were about 46 metres. Yeah, so he's always going to kick it. It was just what scored. He was the, he's probably uh, equal to, of anyone that I saw set shot as well. He was the most accurate bloke you've seen. So, yeah, look, I wouldn't have minded it being another 10, 15 metres out. That might have tested him. But, yeah, he was always going to kick it and we were, were doomed. With two two minutes to – two or two and a half minutes to go, we were 12 points up. Um, just there wasn't a stoppage. The whole – um, we couldn't get the game on our terms. If we had, we were the best team in it at uh, running the clock down. We were able, we, we, drilled, we were drilled a lot. Uh, Kevin Sheedy, David Whedon did a lot of, put a lot of time into us, into being able to um, run the clock down. We would have won. If, we, if someone just got a mark, 
we would have we would have been able to do it, but it just didn't happen. The ball stayed alive for two and a half minutes. They were able to get their two goals won, and uh, the rest is history. I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, Gary, but do you feel like if you guys were able to get over the line in that game and then take you on North Melbourne in the grand final, how do you think you would have went against the Kangaroos? And what was your record against the Kangas that season? Uh, no, I think they'd beat, they'd uh, beaten us, not comfortably, but but well. Uh, but, and we, I think we would have lost four or five blokes from that prelim side. You know, uh, Matthew Lloyd had done a, done a spleen and, he was out and there was quite a few others. We might have got McCurry didn't play, I don't think. He might have been coming back, but there were, we would have lost four or five. North would have been the raging favourites, but once you make a grand final, you never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, uh, it's on the day. North have a downer. We you know, play to our best and you take the cup. So you can't take anything for granted. Um, it was, that's why it was such a disappointing uh, game that 99 prelim and it was a gold cup it was the centenary of the the afl and or you know the vfl afl yeah. 1897 to 1996 gold cup gold medals um i was skipper yeah it was a, a devastating loss gary i really want to get your uh, your thoughts and uh give us a bit of an idea about kevin sheedy as a coach obviously heavily involved in your footy career playing and then you working under him as a, an assistant coach Tell me about Kevin Sheedy as a, as a coach. Yeah, look how fortunate I was to be able to play under him. Um, a lot of people have said, what sort of coach was he? Yeah, was he a good coach? Well, how do I know? I can't compare him to anyone else. It was the whole career. Um, should get a reward for that. I think I'm one of the highest <laughs> a number of games played under him. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. But, yeah, look, fabulous Coach, look, he just coached the whole club. He, he brought the little suburban Essendon club into into the AFL. Before that was, you know, spruiking them around the country. We'd play practice matches all over Australia in the pre-season. Um, he was the most positive person I've ever met. He just, you know, he, he coached his whatever it was, high 600s or, pardon me, 700. But he'd say to people, yeah, I lost 200. Yeah, you know, something like that. How many games have you? Oh, yeah, I lost 200 or <laughs> over 200. So he, you know, we'd, we'd have a bad loss. He'd go through us. You know, obviously, he could raise a voice and go crook. Um, and, you know, every so often sing, single out an odd player, but uh, generally it was at the team. But then once he'd done that, the first thing he'd do, he'd write three things on the board and say, okay, this is what we've got to do this week. We play this this mob next week. We do this, this, and this. We're a big chance next week. So it was, okay, give us a flogging, but straight into what we can do to change things around, what we have to concentrate on. So really positive person. Um, you know, really uh, just from Paran, come through Richmond, lost a father early, in a big family, had a voracious appetite to learn. So, and so when he is a man of the people, he... We'll talk to anyone, anywhere, from the king to the pauper, and just is a sponge. He's just taking information off them and puts them in there. If you, if you ask him about a certain player, he goes, yeah, you know, he was in the, picked in the 80s and from Terrelgan, and you know, good, you know, he, he can uh, almost tell you where, you know, what, what his parents did for a job, the particular player. He knows so much. Um, everywhere we went. Overseas, when we, we travelled, when we played overseas games, he'd buy, he'd go, you know, the Cotswolds in, in England, he'd buy you know, half a dozen books with the 
four or five players that were on with him that particular day, and he'd give, a, give them a book, you know, that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, some blokes use them as doorstops. That's about it. But, uh, yeah, he, fabulous, fabulous bloke to have known and you know, owe so much to him in my footy career. I'll tell you what, what I think of Kevin Sheed, and I think, you know, how much passion he had for his players and so forth and, you know, how much passion he had for the club itself. You know, obviously when I think it might have been when you've beaten West Coast, he's waving the the bomber jacket, uh, but, you know, obviously the marshmallow throwing uh, incident as well, but also too that yep. incident where Mitchell White might have collected one of you guys and that yep. as well. Like he was yep. straight into it batting for, for the bomber. So his passion uh, for the Essendon is just unbelievable. Yeah, there's so many things that are going to be legacies that are left what, long after he's gone that will remain in the game. All the the, the uh, boutique games, perhaps if you call them that, that he's that he's had the the marshmallow game. That was actually my last game, so that was when North beat us in the in the uh, in the elimination final. Uh, the symmetry of that, I only got on at halftime as well again. So uh, uh, my time or my my passport had been stamped i suppose i was out and um yeah also um yeah he just he's just been a great um marketer and just uh ambassador for the game of um australian rules footy uh both here and and all around the around the place you know even in some parts of the world he's he's pretty well known so just a fabulous person and an absolute legend of the game. After football, you headed to the Brisbane Lions pretty well straight away as an assistant coach, and you were part of that successful Brisbane Lions program, which saw three flags in three years. Um, gee, that must have been amazing to be a part of that, knowing that you know you had a real strong contribution to that from an off-field perspective. Yeah, I think you know the, the key bloke in that is Lee Matthews, and he'd actually rung in '98. He'd rung my manager at the time about a month before the season finished. So he thought of, he knew that I was going to get moved on, <laughs> going to get the arse. So, uh, but yeah, it was one of the better things I've done just to get out of Melbourne, view football from an interstate club's perspective. And the, the insular, a lot of insular people in Melbourne have no idea what the interstate clubs have to put up with and, and, and jump over to, to, to make uh, the game every week. And, you know, the, so, for example, some of those West Coast blokes that have had to travel and Freya blokes that have to travel every second week from Perth. It's an incredible journey that they have and, um, you know, unbelievable. But, yeah, so, yeah, uh, we had a team that was at the end of 98, finished bottom, but he's just come in uh, one direction. He's, he, he makes just the, the complicated thing simple. He explains himself really well. He's got those beady eyes that, um, you know, look right through you. He didn't have to yell that much. He had the reputation of being a great player. He coached Collingwood with a 1990 grand final win. And all the, all the club needed was, you know, the, the cement or just the, the gel to bring everyone together. And he did that. And I was one of his lieutenants. You know, I'm not sure how much uh, I had to do with it. He was the, the driving force. Um, but myself, Michael McLean and, uh, Matty Armstrong from Fitzroy all, all came together. There was only three assistant coaches. Now, these days, they have eight and nine. There was only two in the fitness area. Craig Starship, it was the head of you know, fitness, a uh, guy called Scott Murphy, I think, who's now at Geelong. He was head of uh, strength and conditioning. 
and that was it virtually. And um, but you had, you know, a wonderful group of players. You had uh, probably an all Australian on every line. Um, you had, you know, probably a dozen blokes that have gone into coaching post career. So you had them as players on the field, albeit you know, um, not the the finished product, but certainly uh, coaching themselves on the field and. Yeah, you know, they had a ruthless streak as well, led by their captain, Michael Voss, who is is a brilliant player, but has a real ruthless streak through him, and that that uh, flowed through the the team, and you know the rest is history again. Did you look after the midfield in your time there, Gary, or did you look at one of the after the other lines? I had various roles. I think it was midfield first, but I think by the you know, the first two years when we lost a prelim and then lost the first semi. But then in the premiership year, I was I was the back line. So, you, you know, you had, you know, Mel Michael Lepich, the Scott boys, uh, you know, Marty, Uncle Marty Pike. Yes. Coming down there every so often if he wasn't on the wing. Um, you know, Marcus Ashcroft doing a job running from behind the ball. You know, they, they just, they coach themselves. They coach themselves. Yeah, what a terrific group. Just a, an unbelievable football side back then. Then you went back to the Bombers and under under Sheeds in 05, mate. Um, you know, what was the catalyst of going back to Melbourne and going back to the Bombers? I think it was just time to leave. We just lost the grand final 04, going for four in a row, and I thought it was just time to get back to Melbourne. I had um, three kids that, uh, yeah, or two kids. Yeah, I had two kids, I think, yeah. that three, No, one had been born up there. That's right, yeah. So we had three kids. And, uh, yeah, just time to get back in amongst family. But, yeah, Essendon made the offer. Um, yeah, look, uh, my first six years of coaching were in a, in a good spot. Uh, the next 12, which is the six at Essendon, then the six at Brisbane, went through four coaches. Um, so you learn a lot about uh, people and you, about yourself when the teams aren't going as well. Um, so Sheeds, I was in his last three years. Uh, probably not the game. The game hadn't passed him by, but players were probably demanding more from a a, a coach in that they wanted, um, you know, the, him to move with or, or wanted wanted more of a, a plan. Sheeves was a very spontaneous coach. He would, you know, it, it, it probably called the art of coaching. He would do what he thought needed to happen both in a game and at training and. So we were starting to get into the the age where at training you go through a pre a, a pre training meeting with the players. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. You know, and this will go for an hour and a fifteen. And and Sheeds, the second drill would change everything up. So players are sort of going, hang on, what's going on? You know, but that that was Kevin. That probably sh- players were looking for more certainty and more structure in the from a coach than what Sheeds could provide, rightly or wrongly. So um, the, probably the, the score or the, the proofs in the pudding, Essendon haven't, or we haven't been that flash since he left. So, um, you know, uh, ask yourself, was it the right decision? But at, at the time, it, it probably was. Then you had Matty Knights for three years, uh, had some good results and then some poor results. Club got impatient. Probably uh, didn't do the right thing by him as well. From behind his back, they sort of brought through. They always always knew that they were bringing Hurdy through in that last maybe half a season. And, um, you know, Hurdy's come in, uh, moved on there. Yeah, so 
Yeah, but look, as I said, you, you learn a lot about people and yourself in, in the times where it's not going that well. Looks for Buick or Danger here because Bomber Thompson's got it. Thompson goes backwards to O'Donnell. He's got time to have a look around, then runs forward himself, brings it in towards goal. It's another one to the Bombers here on fire. Once Sheeds was sort of, um, I guess, out the door, you know, had sort of finished up the Bombers, did you have aspirations and did, were you keen to maybe try and step into that senior coaching role? Was that something that you wanted to do or that wasn't what you no, wanted? No, I never did. I, I got asked to interview for a, a few roles, but no, I never never did. I just said, look, I look, I was comfortable with what I was doing and I, I didn't see myself as a senior coach and didn't, I, I thought there was you know, just a couple of things that a senior coach has to be strong in. I wasn't as, as strong as I would like. So I just, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't my, uh, my aim or, or, process that that would ever happen either. Mate, you got to coach one game though for the Bombers. I know Sheeds um, was sidelined with a shoulder injury or something or other. I think I was reading with a collision with Dean Solomon at training and then you had to take the reins that Saturday and you had a draw against the Blues. Can you remember the actual incident with uh, Sheeds and Dean Solomon which caused him not to be able to front up and be in the coach's box that following Saturday? There was a drill we used to do. It was little, just little handball lane work drill with a coach or a player in the middle and, you know, two coming out from each end and, you know, the ball whizzing around. And Sheeds would – you have to be careful. Sheeds, in the early days, would knock you over. You know, he'd run through you. Well, Solly's got him that night, probably blindsided him, you know, dislocated a shoulder, needed it repaired. And Peter Jackson, the CEO at the time, made the decision because Sheeds was getting operated on sort of, you know, later on in the week. And he said, nah, he's not going to be ready. And, you know, I, so the whole week we'll give it to, to Gary. And I think uh, Dean Wallace was there. Who else? Um, might have been Scott Cabriali. Might have been <clears throat> um, Gary Ayres. Yeah. So Gary, you know, he had some experience in the box. Yeah. But, and Sheeds actually had come back. So Sheed sat in the box but said nothing, which was a good, a good indication of, probably a little bit of humility as well. It would have been easy for him to come over the top. But he just, all the preparation of the week was done by us or mis- and myself and us. And then she'd sitting in the box and yeah, with, I think with two, yeah, we were probably halfway through the last quarter. We were two goals up, but we were looking a bit stodgy behind the ball. And I moved, I think from memory, moved Ricky Dyson, who was a good ball user behind the footy, yeah, or not as a as a as a half back, and uh, to, to sort of get us, you know, better movement out of the back half. And he happened to be on Eddie Betts, and Eddie Betts, I think, kicked the two last two goals that evened the game up. So um, take what what you will out of that. But yeah, a draw, one game, one draw, no wins, no losses. So, uh, not, I don't think anyone will ever do that again. Hey, Gary, I've really loved the chat, mate. It's been great to catch up with you. Now, with my guests, I usually give you a couple of quick handballs just to finish off the podcast. So the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to give you four names. And I know it might be hard because you've had a lot of um, time with these guys, but if you can provide a, a word or even just a short phrase to, to, to describe these uh, these individuals. The first one I'm going to talk to you or ask you about is Paul Salmon. Funny, humble, and not humble. Uh, teammate from the past under 13's North Ringwood. Um, a great talent. What about Tim Watson? The best Watson. 
modern day, it's recent admiration syndrome, RAS. Uh, people were comparing Job, who was a bloody good player as well, but I saw Tim kick five goals in a quarter, ruck roving. Uh, exhilarating. Mark Harvey. <laughs> Fearless. Stupid. <laughs> uh, co- courageous. Uh, leader. He was a great player, wasn't he, Gary? Like Mark Harvey, even in those mid-80 grand finals and so forth, he was a terrific player. He came on, he's one of the better players in the 85 grand final, but he came on in 84 when they were struggling off the bench. Him and Bomber started on the bench and he just got, he got about six or seven touches real quick, just gave him a real life, probably the, like the blokes that played in 93 um, with us. And he, he, he played a key back role on some of the better center forwards in the game as probably a six foot two player. So yeah, just played above his height and just, just his will to win and his, and his ruthlessness as well got him a great career. And the last one I'm going to ask you about, Bomber Thompson. Yeah, men's, men's male players captain. Um, bloody good player. Uh, Essendon team of the century. Essendon, champion of Essendon. Uh, great coach. A leader of men. Your most memorable moment during your career, or you know, just a time that you know you reflect back really fondly on. Yeah, look, other than the big finals wins, um, you know, they, I played in four draws, so they're always interesting. But I think the biggest exciting game that I played in, as from a family's perspective, was was about round five, round six, maybe round seven in in uh, nineteen ninety six as captain. The league was celebrating the 100-year anniversary of the VFL and they had the, the same eight teams that started the comp play each other on the same day. So I think it was it might have been May 8th we played Geelong and uh, yeah, virtually 100 years to the day or 100 seasons to the day and I was captain of Essendon and... Uh, in the first game in 1897, my great-grandfather, Edwin Teddy Rankin, played for Geelong. Uh, so uh, five generations now of my family have played the AFL, VFL, AFL footy and AFLW. My niece has recently been um, recruited, picked two to Hawthorne. Uh, her name's Jasmine Fleming, um, daughter of my sister and Damien Fleming, actually, who is a brother-in-law. Um, but, yes. Yeah, to, have, to play in the same game that Teddy Rankin played in, my great-grandfather, 100 games later. I'm in the opposite side, and we had a great win that night. Darren Buick, first game back from an eight ACL, goals. six, nine, oh, great, nine, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, that's a fabulous me- memory. We ran out in knickerbockers with the old hat. Um, you know, the lace-up, the, the jumpers were the, the modern jumpers, but it was like a printed lace-up uh, type jumper. It was one thing, you know, probably the, the, the best game I'll, or I'll hold that dear uh, because of my family involvement. Got to play with the four Danahers in one team in 1990. Uh, that was a, a great um, opportunity. Uh, and probably just all the state games as well. We don't have state of origin nowadays, but I was fortunate enough to play in nine of those games against WA, South Australia especially, who have got a chip on their shoulder about the Vicks. 
<laughs> uh, and then, and we even played against the Allies as well in a combined uh, state game as well. So they're they're probably the two or three big memories. I'm just going to ask you about state footy, and you know, you spoke about you playing nine games. I know you played in that one in '95 against South Australia in the EJ Whitten. I guess game where he went around in the uh, the car around and did a lap. That was when he was sort of really starting to feel, I guess, that real ill health and, and really struggling. That must have been a, a great moment. And did you have a chat with uh, Teddy in the rooms before the game, before you ran out the battle? It was a beauty, yeah. He, so he, his um, illness had, uh, he couldn't see, I don't think. You know, or if what he could, it was about 5%. So he had his younger, or his son, uh, Ted Jr., explaining the whole day to him. But yeah, before the game, he was introduced to each player that was playing that day, just, you know, as we're getting ready. And uh, he misheard my name. He thought I was Gary Lyon. This is Gary O'Donnell. And he went, oh, Gary Lyon, yeah, good, good luck today, son. Good luck. You know, give him heaps. You know, stick it up him. But, uh, look, great memory. And I don't think the Vicks, we, were, we weren't going to get beaten that day. We won quite comfortably. And, um, yeah, a great advocate for state, state footy, and just like Neil Curley as well, who's recently passed South Australia. They had a love-hate relationship, but I think really they had a love relationship. They were, they, they got it. They, they knew what um, rivalries like that were and um, had a hell of a lot of respect for each other and were great for the game of Australian footy in Australia. I know it's hard in these, uh, this climate and so forth, but, you know, would you like to see State of Origin back? And I know it's a, something we speak about pretty much every time after a New South Wales-Queensland rugby league match that, you know, that's always the argument. It'll be great to see State of Origin back in AFL. You know, would you love to see it back? Do you think it could work? Oh, I'd love to see it back. It's not going to work. The, the horse has bolted. Uh, players haven't been brought up with it and a club footy is, takes precedence. The clubs are pretty selfish these days. And, uh, you know, a hell of a lot different to the rugby league. A lot of the players come from Queensland and New South Wales, whereas when our game, we're Australia-wide. It's yeah. really hard to get the best players uh, that would miss out if, you know, they come from Tassie or, you know, Queensland. Um, there's re- there was, you know, the big biggest rivalry was Victoria-South Australia, but you can't just have that all the time. You have to have all the all the states involved. It's just it's an impossible task, I think. You know, the next step, the, the closest we'll get to state of origin footy is, I reckon, a Tas- if a Tasmanian team comes in, <laughs> they will think they're the state. You know, it'll be right. everyone against Tassie. Uh, that'll be the closest you get, I reckon. Yeah, fair call, fair call. And the last one, mate, I want to ask you, who is your hardest opponent? You know, you played... 240-odd games, and you've played against some quality players. Who was the one that you just found hard to, to play on uh, when you come up against them on a Saturday Arvo? I'll name a group of them. So Greg Williams was you know, a champion, and the blokes that in those days got tagged. These days they don't, and they still got the footy. So there was one game against Williams at Waverley, played on him, and at quarter time, I'd been in his shorts the whole game, and he had 13 at quarter time. He was on. He was a he was a freak. I had some good games keeping him down to about 20, <laughs> but certainly he was, you know, he was a freak. You know, Craig Bradley was hard to play on because he was quick and he had great endurance. Uh, Dale Waitman, because you never were, never knew where a fist or an, an elbow was coming. And, and look, he was a terrific player, a terrific state player as well um, uh, back in those days. 
Peter Dacos, yeah, and the Dacos boys running around now. His their father was a freak, um, never fell over, low centre of gravity. Probably the one that gave me the biggest uh, headache, um, and I didn't play on him a lot, but it was Darren Jarman. Yep, because he was a double-sided player. He didn't fall over. He didn't fumble. Um, he just, and, you know, they, quite often they could isolate him one out, forward of the ball. That was the biggest, that was the one that tightened me up the most, uh, Darren Jarman at Adelaide. Yeah, I think he. I think a lot of St Kilda players and supporters have nightmares of uh, of Jarman, just what he did in the 97 grand final, and probably the same with uh, North Melbourne in 98. Just one-on-one, fantastic player. Yeah, I also got the opportunity to play on Gary Abbott Senior, which you wouldn't think would happen because he's obviously big and strong and too tall for me, but it was when he was playing with Geelong as a half-forward onto the ball. So, um, you know, he was up the ground. Um, played him twice. He kicked one goal four on me one game and then four goals won the other game. Three three goals in 10 minutes in a third quarter. And he ran through Bomber Thompson and I like he wasn't there and kicked one of those goals. So... And we're just looking at stand there, looking at each other, and how that happened. Um, but yeah, I'll be out. That'll be something I can tell the, the future generations that yeah, I was able to play on the great you know, Gary Ablett Senior. Gary O'Donnell, been an absolute pleasure to talk footy with you, mate. Uh, really appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for jumping on the Nineties Club Footy Podcast. Yeah, thanks for that, Trent. All the best. Here's Buick. On to O'Donnell, can he kick his third? He straightens up Gary O'Donnell, goes bang, and that's his third, all right. That's the end of episode 39. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you would love to hear. Next week, our final episode of Season 4, we'll catch up with former Crow, Magpie and Cat, Brenton Sanderson. It's tough, it's rugged, it's good, solid AFL football.